Christians in, in uh, any time of the period of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, their love for the Word, their love for purity and holiness, uh, unmatched, certainly not matched in our generation. And this is what they wrote after meditation, after prayer, after discussion, after argumentation. They said, here's what the seventh commandment basically means. Here's what it basically requires of us. The duties required in the seventh commandment are chastity in body, mind, affections, word, and behavior, and the preservation of it in ourselves and others. We're not islands. We don't live to ourselves. We affect people around us every moment of every day. And they go on to say, watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses, temperance, keeping of chaste company, modesty in apparel, shunning all occasions of uncleanness and resisting temptations thereto. Immodest dress can lead to adultery. Well, let's consider this then as another important point. The relation of men, women, and modesty. The relation of men and women and modesty. This is a central issue regarding this subject. Now, though much has been said about women in this discussion thus far this morning, maybe you ladies will breathe something of a sigh of relief when I say this. The root problem in modesty is not women. It is men. The root problem is not women. I'm not letting anybody off the hook. Ladies, you still have your responsibilities. But the root problem is men. I clearly failed in one of my main objectives when I wrote Christian Modesty in the Public Undressing of America. My target was pastors, fathers, and husbands because they are the primary problem. Is anybody missing my point? Men, you are the issue. I apparently didn't make that clear enough in the booklet, so I want to make sure you got it this morning. I hear from women about my booklet all the time. I rarely get a peep out of men because they're not reading it. Thankfully, I do bump into a few who say, I read your booklet. My wife gave it to me. She asked me to read it. But now stop and think. Uh, there is some encouragement. Why are so many m women reading this? Because they want to know. They want to know what the Word of God says about these things. And there seems to be some spark of interest in some of the Christian women in this nation regarding 
the subject of modesty and their appearance. Now, of course, to a certain degree, that stands to reason, doesn't it? Um, Uh, women are given a great and a wonderful gift for adornment. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. They're the ones that generally have an eye for taste. Unfortunately, men are... Uh, Lord kind of created us like ostriches. Step on their own eggs. Uh, men very often have no concept of, of clothing. Now, they're, they're not as... They're not as much in, in violation generally of exposing their bodies of, uh, as far as immodesty goes as as they are in, in just bad taste. A nice t-shirt with only a couple of holes in it and a couple of slacks on your day off. That's, and uh, penny loafers with no socks. But the, or tennis shoes. And then you're fixing to go somewhere and your wife says, oh sweetheart, change please. Why? It's the why. It's the asking that question. That's the scary part. Huh? All right. But that is the case, brother. Now, <clears throat> most pulpits are stunningly silent about modesty. And this is tragic. This is tragic. And most fathers do absolutely nothing to guide and guard their wives, sons, and daughters regarding this basic issue. This is a basic issue. Now, men, first of all, need to be born of God's Spirit. Without a new heart, husbands and fathers will neither have the love for Christ, the love for their families, nor the backbone to guide their homes according to the Word of God. Let me repeat that sentence. Without a new heart, husbands and fathers will neither have the love for Christ, the love for their families, nor the backbone to guide their homes according to the Word of God. Men, it is tragic. It is pitiful how often I've had to sit in my office, in my living room, in someone else's home, and listen to a wife crying her heart out because her husband will not guide the home. Men, you are going to answer to Almighty God. And you need to know that the standard will be Christ and His Word. You don't have to agree with a word I'm saying, but you sure better be absolutely certain that you know what God is requiring of you then. To sit and hear women say, I would follow him if he would do anything that looked like leading. It's tragic. Because of our sinful nature, 
most modern men, I include myself in this, this, this category. I'm not, uh, I'm not standing up here saying, I have this all together. But most modern men are utterly spineless, feminized cowards who are ruled by their wives, their children, their lusts, and Hollywood. But when we are born of God's Spirit and set free from bondage, we will desire to do what honors the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have a snoot full of religion, but that won't make you holy. In order to be holy, you must be born of God's Holy Spirit. And that's where the desire to even look into an issue like this comes from. As with any of the others that we must face as Christian men. By God's grace in Christ, by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit, and by the light of the infallible Word, men need to learn at least three things. Men, please be listening. Number one, we must first be set free from our worship of fornication and lust. And in our day, it is inbred. You can't even sit down and, and watch the news without getting some conscience-violating commercial. You can't sit down and watch a football game without getting, lately, we've been getting more and more filth in all of the, the sports activities. But by nature, men are sinful and ruled by their own lusts. And the first thing that men, you must do by the power of God's Spirit and looking to Christ for His grace is to overcome your worship of your lust, which is just another form of self-worship and idolatry. Secondly, we must learn to guard our hearts. We must learn to guard our hearts. Brethren, I was appalled. I was stunned. I was overwhelmed with sorrow as I recently attended a, a wonderful pastor's conference and, and what took up almost one entire workshop was not only what to do about men in the congregation that are hooked on internet porn, but pastors Three, from one of the most well-known conservative seminaries last year had to resign for this. Men, you've got to learn to govern your hearts and realize what you are made of and not put yourself in harm's way. The Lord has promised to rescue you from 
every one of the temptations that is common to man. But sometimes that rescue is seeing the issue and by God's grace doing a 180 and running in the other direction. Number three, we must learn to govern our eyes. Job said, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? We grow up in a culture where we are constantly being, said, being told, look, look, look. You can't go to the, the, the family store, Walmart, without, without having to walk through the, the checkout line to, with a steady stream of nakedness all year long in the magazine covers and saying, women, if you don't look like this, you're not beautiful, you're not tasteful, you're not provocative. I grieve for you. Men have to walk in and constantly have their senses and especially their eyes bombarded everywhere they go. I have actually been stunned at what I've seen uh, women wearing lately at weddings, at which one time was considered a fairly conservative moment in your life. Brethren, we need to know these three things. We must be set free from our worship of fornication and lust we must learn to guard our hearts and we must learn to govern our eyes. Then by God's grace, we must teach this and model it for our sons. Unfortunately, most of the literature I have read regarding modesty lays the blame squarely on women, which distorts the issue. God has made women with a natural desire to adorn and beautify the things around them. And when this good inclination is perverted by fallen sinful nature, clothing becomes an opportunity for pride and self-advertisement. Pride and self-advertisement. Women, unfortunately, are more often concerned about what other women or what men think about their apparel rather than God, their maker. Oh, if I show up in this, everybody knows that I had this on last week. As if somewhere it's canonized in the Word of God that that's sinful. Richard Baxter wisely warns women, and sisters, I say this with, with genuine with a genuine desire to deliver it as one who is your friend, not your enemy. I've seen preachers from time to time stomp and foam about this subject, and, and the women go out feeling beaten to pieces, but uh, that's hardly the Holy Spirit. It's certainly not my desire. I want you to know what God's Word says, and I want you with joy to walk in it. If I fail in that, 
Be Berean. Read the Word of God. Read the whole Word of God. But please, read the Word of God and pray. That loud fellow may be completely wrong. I don't think so. Or I wouldn't be preaching it. But, you must take these things and think them through. Listen to what Richard Baxter says. He wisely warns women that immodest clothing tends, quote, it's a little difficult to follow his old English, but follow him right here, to the ensnaring of the minds of the beholders in shameless, lustful, wanton passions. Though you say you intend it not. I mean it. It's just cute. It's just a cute dress. It is your sin that you do that which probably will procure it. Yea, that you did not your best to avoid it. And though it be your sin, excuse me, and though it be their sin, men, and vanity that is the cause, it is nevertheless your sin to be the unnecessary occasion. For you must consider that you live among diseased souls. That's one of the most powerful things I've ever heard a man say. You must consider that you live among diseased souls. There's something wrong with men. It's called sin. It affects women as well. He goes on to say, And you must not lay a stumbling block in their way, nor blow up the fire of their lust, nor make your ornaments their snares. But you must walk among sinful persons as you would do with a candle among straw or gunpowder. It's wise counsel. Walk among these foolish lost men as if you were walking with a candle in a room full of gunpowder. Or else you may see the flame which you would not foresee when it is too late to quench it. Close quote. Now ladies, are you spending more time beautifying your external or your internal? It does matter. Are you spending more time for your soul, dressing your soul, beautifying your soul with the Word of Christ, with prayer, with being in the presence of the Lord who fills our hearts with good things? Or are you spending more time fixing up for what everybody's going to see? We're not saying they should be one against the other. We're saying they should work together, one flowing wisely from the inside. Christian women must self-consciously control their hearts, their passions, and instead of arraying themselves elaborately, expensively, or sensually, if you desire Christian modesty, you will not draw attention to yourself in the wrong way. In the wrong way. If you walk in dressed modestly in most places today, people will look at you because you look different. Excuse me, ma'am, are you a Pentecostal? <laughs> I notice you're wearing a dress.
Your dress must not say lust. It must not say pride. It must not say money. But it needs to say purity, humility, and moderation. Well ordered. Finally, let's close. How then shall we apply what God's Word says about this to our lives? Number one, our first goal must be love for God and His glory. That's one of the things that stomping and foaming sermons really produce. They might make a guilty conscience, but that's about all. I'm not interested in that. What must be first and foremost in all of our minds, beginning with the men, is love for God and His glory. The Apostle Paul says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. The cry of the modern evangelical, excuse me, the cry of the modern feminist is, It's my body and I'll do what I want. The cry of the modern evangelical is, It's my liberty and I'll do what I want. But the Word of God says this. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? He purchased us body and soul upon the cross of Calvary with His precious blood. Therefore, we must carefully consider how we adorn His possession. Secondly, our goal must be love for others. Romans 13.10 declares, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Preservation of purity in others and selfless, selfless desire not to provoke them to lust should burn in our hearts. Men and women. Romans 15.2 says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, for even Christ pleased not himself. Number three, love for Christ must be our motive. What should drive us in this? We love him because he first loved us. Brethren, I say this to you with all my heart. You can forget absolutely everything I'm saying to you if you don't find any of this here in God's book. Take it and throw it away. You shouldn't be bound uh, by my faulty thinking. What I am saying to you, it's telling us something. If you don't think I'm telling you what it's saying, do you know? You need to look. You need to love the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you bought me. I'm yours. What do you want me to do? And don't sit and wait for a feeling. Search the Word of God for the answer. And finally, remembering who we are in Christ must be our corrective. By the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, Christians are translated from the kingdom of darkness and its power into the glorious kingdom of God's Son. Who are you, Christian? You're not simply a forgiven sinner, but a living 
Son of God, by the glorious power of the Spirit, you are alive in Christ, in union with Christ, and being prepared for the glorious day when you will rule and reign with Him forever in His great kingdom. That's who you are. Live like God's children. Live like God's children. Paul says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with boarded hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now there's more to be said. But brethren, this is the heart of the issue. If we miss this, the rest of it really doesn't matter. May we look to Christ as His children and be guided by Him and His infallible Word in these things. And when we come together as His children to worship Him, may our hearts come with a desire for purity and glory to Him, not advertisement for ourselves. May God help us. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise and thank Thee for Your kindness. And I pray with all of my heart that You would bring Holy Spirit conviction where it needs to be. Father, no one here needs to be the captive of my brain. But we all need to be submissive to Thy Word. And Father, I pray with all of my heart that we would give ourselves to the continued prayer and study of these things. That we might bring You glory. No other reason. That we might bring Thee glory as Thy dear children. Loving Thee. Loving Your precious and beloved children. Now take us, Father, and help us to consider these things in Thy holy word. And may it all be to the glory of Jesus Christ. And I pray it in His holy name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, 
from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.